In Romans 5, verse 1, we read, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, in verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, the judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. These and many other passages of Holy Writ are the basis of the instruction and the catechism in Lord's Day 23. But what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. So that though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them. And I'm still inclined to all evil. Notwithstanding God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so, as if I never had nor committed any sin, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, and as much as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? Not because I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. What a beautiful Lord's Day this is, beloved. I always think uh, this is one of the most beautiful Lord's Days in the entire Catechism. Viewing the Catechism from its own viewpoint, uh, that it means to instruct us 
in the only comfort in life and in death that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This Lord's Day is certainly the very heart of that comfort. Speaking of our personal justification, Let us not overlook this. The Catechism does not treat here of the abstract and cold doctrine of justification by faith. It speaks of my personal and your personal faith and confession of that justification. Don't miss that point because then you surely miss the point of the whole Lord's day. Notice, what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? that I am righteous before God, that I am an heir of eternal life. How art thou righteous before God only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience accuse me, and it does, does it not? My conscience accuses me even while I'm standing here, beloved. Even while I'm trying to preach the word of God to you. My conscience accuses me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them. That I am still inclined to all evil notwithstanding God without any merit of mine but only of mere grace grants and imputes unto me the perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ even so as if I never had nor committed any sin yea as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ hath accomplished for me. That beautiful? It's a preference. It's a without exception. It's a sure. And you and I ought to hear this this morning, beloved, and receive it and go home strengthened in your comfort in life and death that you belong to your faithful Savior Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of my preaching to you this morning. I take the theme the righteousness of believers. 
a great blessing, a firm ground, an only way, a great blessing, a firm ground, an only way. Catechism speaks here of justification by faith. Don't overlook that, beloved, because this is the closing of a chapter of the Heidelberg Catechism. A chapter that has been begun in Lord's Day 7. There the Catechism spoke of faith, of saving faith. And it asked the question, uh, what is the contents of that saving faith? And it answered, all things revealed unto us in the word of God as expressed in the articles of our Christian faith. And so the catechism came to discuss the articles of the apostolic confession, which are now closed. And, beloved, uh, don't overlook this one fact, that the catechism is not treating the apostolic confession as an object of historical faith which is impossible uh, but as an object of real, true, saving faith. It is not the question whether you believe that there is a God creator of heaven and earth that there is uh, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and so forth. That there is a Holy Spirit. Uh, but the question, the important question is whether you believe in that triune God of our salvation. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, and so forth. I believe in the Holy Ghost. That faith. Now the Heidelberg Catechism brings to its, its close as far as the discussion is concerned, by saying, what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? And the answer is that I am justified by that faith before God and that I am therefore an heir of eternal life. The justification as you have heard last Sunday evening from Mr. Herman Henko, beloved, 
Justification is an act of God. An act of God whereby he declares sinners righteous before him. Whereby he imputes a righteousness which is not of ourselves, but which is outside of us, imputes that righteousness to us. And that is God's act of justification. It is not an act whereby we become righteous and holy in our inner spirit whereby we become righteous and holy in our heart and mind and soul as far as the condition of our existence is concerned uh, but it is an act whereby God declares us righteous in spite of the fact that we are not. God declares us perfectly righteous. Now, let us just elaborate on that a moment. Righteousness and justification implies a few things. In the first place, it implies, of course, a tribunal. A tribunal on which one sits that has authority to judge. That stands to reason. In the second place, justification implies that before that tribunal stands one that is accused of a crime, of sin, of iniquity. That also is applied and the idea of justification. In the third place, there is implied in the idea of justification a criterion by which the one that stands before that tribunal must be judged. The criterion is, of course, the objective law. That is the criterion whereby the one that sits on the judgment seat must judge the one that stands before him accused of a crime. In the fourth place, 
Justification is the act whereby the judge on the, on the tribunal declares that the one that is accused before him is entirely in harmony, in complete harmony with that criterion of the objective law. That is true in any case of justification, even among us. So it is here. The judge, of course, that sits on the tribunal, that always sits on the tribunal, never leaves it, is God. We stand before God always. And God is the supreme court. In fact, God is the only court. There is no other court than this highest court of heaven and earth. He is the supreme judge. He is the only judge, and that only judge is perfectly righteous in himself. You cannot even criticize his righteousness. He's perfectly right. You cannot even put on a criterion as a standard of his righteousness next to him. That's impossible. This just stands above the law. He's righteous in himself, in his being. That righteous, that perfectly righteous judge, that sovereign judge that stands above the law sits on the tribunal before which we stand. We stand there, beloved. That's the idea of justification. We stand there as sinners. Not as righteous. That is true objectively as well as subjectively. Maybe you don't care for those terms. That is true, beloved, as well as our actual condition is concerned before that judge, and that is true uh, as far as our own consciousness is concerned. The catechism says that. The Catechism says of the sinner here that must be justified, beloved, that is justified. The Catechism says that that sinner there that stands before God has wholly transgressed all the commandments of God. That's the way we stand there before the judge. Exactly that way. 
The catechism says that uh, that sinner that stands before God has kept none of the commandments. That's the way he stands there. The catechism says that he is that sinner that stands there is still inclined to all evil. While he stands before that judge. That's what he said. That's what the catechism says of the sinner. That objectively, subjectively, excuse me, as far as his consciousness is concerned, the catechism says that his own conscience condemns him. That's the way we stand before that judge. That's what we must say, beloved. Let's say that before we ever speak of justification. God justifies the ungodly. No one else. He does not justify the godly. There are no godly to be justified. It does not justify anyone that says, I'm good. Just not. There's no one good. All are corrupt. We all are. Don't let's be good. And not only that, but we must say, we must say, if we want to be justified, before the judge ever expresses his senses upon us, we must say, my own conscience condemns me. That that is true. Otherwise, no good. That's the way it is. And beloved, there stands the law. The law at the criteria. The perfect law. And the law says, that's all I can say, notice, in Romans 8 verse 3 we read, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The law is weak. The law cannot do anything with us. The law certainly cannot justify us. All the law can do is condemn us. The law that God condemns us. Every time, every moment. But we stand, and we do stand, we do stand before that judge, before that tribunal of heaven and earth. We stand there every day and every moment. It's not so that we go our own way and then forget all about it and all of, a sudden, all of a sudden we appear before the tribunal or perhaps in the final day, oh no, our whole life. From moment to moment we stand before that tribunal. We do. Our whole life is a life that 
uh, with which we appear before the tribunal of God. Always. All right. The law condemns us. Not now. What now? Justification means, beloved, that the judge, the supreme judge, from which there is no appeal, that judge that is perfectly righteous in, and even stands above the law is God, sovereign. The judge declares that we are in perfect harmony with the law. That's justification. That's all. No, still more. The judge declares that, uh, let me put it, let me put it a little paradoxically. The judge declares that we have packed with so many good works that we are not only worthy to live, but that we are worthy of a tremendous reward. The reward of eternal life. That's justification. That's tremendous. That's why I call it in my first point, beloved, a great blessing. Of course. It's a great blessing all by itself. Considered all by itself. That you and I may stand there before the tribunal of God and that he says to us, my favor is upon you instead of my wrath. That's justification. My favor. God loveth the righteous. He hates the wicked. The righteous is the object of his grace, of his favor. The wicked is the object of his wrath. The righteous is worthy of life. The wicked is worthy of death. The righteous, in this sense, in the Christian sense of the word, the righteous is worthy of heaven. The wicked is worthy of hell. What doth it profit thee thou that thou believest all this that I am righteous before God? Still more, this righteousness, beloved, this particular righteousness, the righteousness of justification is much greater than 
the righteousness which any man could ever have had in Adam. Adam was righteous. All right, he was righteous. But he could lose his righteousness. He could lose it. And he did lose it. This righteousness we can never lose. Once we say I'm righteous before God not in myself but by faith we have a righteousness which we can never, never lose again. Never. The righteousness which Adam had in his original state was a righteousness that was worthy of life. Worthy of life. Let me put it this way. Adam, as long as he remained in the state of righteousness, was worthy to stay in paradise, living. It was worthy to live in paradise. But the righteousness which we have by faith in Christ is a righteousness, beloved, that as far as its value is concerned, far exceeds that righteousness of Adam because the righteousness which we have by faith makes us worthy of eternal life, of immortality, of heavenly life, of glory. That's the blessing. Now shall we say it once, beloved? Shall we say it? Oh, let us say this, shall we? What doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? Let's say this. That I am righteous before God. I who say and know that I am a sinner, uh, that I have never done anything good, that I am still inclined to do all evil, that I am righteous before God, that I am so righteous before God that I am deemed worthy not only to continue to live, but that I am worthy to enter into e eternal life, into heavenly glory. What a blessing. How is that possible, you say? The answer is, beloved, that is possible 
only because the righteousness of justification is a righteousness that rests not in ourselves. That's why. That's the reason. It is not our righteousness which is the righteousness of justification. Not ours. It's imputed to us. Understand that? It's reckoned as if it is ours, but it isn't. The righteousness of Adam's was his own. As God gave it to him in his creation, he could keep it or lose it. At least the righteousness of Adam rested in himself. The righteousness of the believer does not rest in himself, but rests outside of him. Where? Where? Beloved, I want to call your attention uh, to three or four or five stages of this righteousness. And you will immediately see uh, that it is not a righteousness that is ours, but that is imputed to us, reckoned as if it were ours. And then I want to call your attention, first of all, to the fact of eternal election. Eternal election. In the old country, in former years, when there was still sufficient interest to discuss these things, beloved, which I doubt whether there is now, uh, but when there was still sufficient interest, there was a controversy about the question whether we may speak of eternal justification or whether justification is only by faith and time. I've always taken the position that it is absurd to speak of justification only by faith in time that is not grounded in the justification in eternity. We are eternally justified. Oh, we are not justified at all. In election. And without election, you cannot even speak of justification. In sovereign election, God chose us in Christ 
And in that sovereign election, God always looked upon us in Christ. Never in any other way. He chose us in Christ, the church, the elect. He chose them in Christ. He considered them in Christ. He never looked upon them in any other way than in Christ. And therefore, in eternity, they are looked upon as justified sinners in Christ. That first of all. That's the ground. That's the firm ground. And secondly, there is of course the realization of that justification of sinners which God has determined upon in his eternal sovereign decree for all the elect in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first step in time. The cross. The cross is the perfect satisfaction for all our sins. Complete. Perfect. Because the Son of God, no less than the Son of God in the flesh, with perfect obedience and the love of God, went into the depth of death and hell and there atoned. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. That's the second step. The third step is the step of the resurrection. God declared Christ. Christ not as an individual. Christ never as an individual, beloved. Christ as the head of the body. Christ as the head of the body died on the accursed tree. And Christ as the head of the body was raised from the dead and in that resurrection, God said to Christ and to the elect in Christ, You are justified. Justified sinners. That's the resurrection of Christ. Fourthly, there is the justification before our own conscience. When we stand before the tribunal of God as sinners, and when we say, 
my own conscience condemns me that I have transgressed all the commandments of God and I've kept none of them. That I'm still inclined to all evil. And God says from his throne of judgment. Nevertheless, thou sinner art righteous before me because I impute the righteousness of Christ to thee. Then we are no longer sinners that stand before that tribunal with a guilty conscience, but then the voice from the tribunal overcomes the voice of our conscience, and we say, nevertheless, although my conscience accuse me, I am righteous before God. Don't you see? That's the word of God. Not my word, that's the word of the gospel. Hear it, beloved. Hear it. Hear it today. Hear it today. You hear it? So that you say, nevertheless, although my own conscience accuse me, never mind the world and the devil, they always do, but my own conscience, though my own conscience accuse me, in spite of that fact, I am righteous before God. That's what you must have. Exactly that. You must never say, my own conscience doesn't accuse me anymore. It will accuse you as long as you live. That never gives you the comfort of justification. You must say, my conscience accused me, but in spite of that, I'm righteous. That's what you must say. How? In what way? Only one way, beloved, by faith. By faith, of course. By faith. What's faith? Faith is the fruit of that work of God in our hearts whereby we are regenerated and faith is that peculiar working of that power whereby I am incorporated into Christ and know that I am a member of his body. That is faith. The power of faith is the power whereby God engrafts me, incorporates me into Christ. And as soon 
as that power of faith as awakened in me by the preaching of the gospel I say I am of Christ this is my only comfort in life and death that I am not my own that I do not stand before God on my own responsibility oh talk about responsibility Uh, that kills, beloved, uh, that talk of responsibility, really, kills the whole Christian religion. Leader, uh, that whole talk of responsibility although I'm afraid that those that did so formerly in our churches didn't know what they were talking about. I hope they didn't. I think they didn't know what they were talking about. But nevertheless, that whole talk of responsibility is principally modernism. I am no longer responsible in myself for my sin and for my good works. No, sir, I'm not. Christ is. Christ is. I, by faith, by faith, I'm in Christ. And by faith, before the tribunal of God, I cast all my responsibility on Christ. By faith. I do. By faith, I cast all the responsibility of my sin on Christ. I say to Christ, I'm not responsible. Thou art for my sin. Is that ungodly? Or let's talk about that next Lord's in the next Lord's day, beloved. Let's have this as emphatic, emphatic as I can say it. Christ is responsible. Not I. For my sin isn't. I'm glad of it. That's faith. Faith is the power which God works in my heart whereby I am engrafted into Christ as the branch in the vine, as the member of the body, and whereby I live not out of myself, but out of him, whereby I repudiate 
all my own righteousness and embrace the righteousness which is not in me but in Christ in which I know God imputes to me by free grace. That's justification. How, how can any man still even suggest that faith is a condition? How is it possible? How can any man that understands it all, that even begins to understand that faith is God's means whereby God engrafts us into Christ and that act of belief, act of belief is the fruit of that power whereby I am engrafted into Christ. How can any man still say faith is a condition? Faith is not a condition. Faith is not a ground. Faith is not even the hand which I must extend in order to accept the gift. Faith is God's means, God's means whereby I am grafted into Christ and embrace all his righteousness, not mine. By faith are you saved, through grace, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That settles. Now, beloved, may I ask you, when you come home, to read the same beautiful Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism once more, correctly and attentively, and then say to yourselves, what a great, great, unspeakably great blessing that we are justified freely by his grace by faith. Amen. Lord, thanks for thy mercies, for thy word, for the preaching of thy word, for the blessing that we might dwell in thy house, and that we might indeed succeed by the power of thy grace to forget the things of this world and concentrate our attention upon the things of heaven. Thanks, O Lord, for all thy grace and goodness. Amen.